Matthew chapter seven, verse one. Judge not that you be not judged. Anyone ever have that verse quoted to you? Right? Don't judge me, bro. So you've got a friend or a family member, or someone that you care for at work, and you're trying to help them because they have bad behavior and it's ruining their lives. And so you're like, bro, quit smoking pot. And like, what? I need it. And Willie Nelson got his dream. It's legal in Oregon now, so I'm not breaking the law. And don't judge me, bro. Right? It's always thrown in there. So I think for believers, our favorite verse is John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. For unbelievers, their favorite verse, Matthew 7, 1. Don't judge me, bro. Don't judge me. And it could be that it's a reflection now of the way culture sees Christianity. So there's poll after poll taken about, hey, how do you see Christians? And the most recent one, it was, here's the top three words people use to describe Christians. Number one, judgmental. Number two, hypocrites. Number three, anti-LGBQT. Therefore we get, don't judge me, bro. Don't judge me. Do we deserve it though? Sometimes I always have to stand back and say, have I earned some of the criticism that's aimed toward Christians? Have I earned it? So perhaps like me, you've gone down this summer to the growers market to get some good fresh tomatoes or strawberries or a nice donut. And guess who's on the corner? People with signs, repent, you're going to hell. People with pictures of aborted babies, and we're pro-life here. But I look at them and guess what I do? I judge them, right? Do I need to repent from that? Am I like, I judge them, here's why. Because of what's happening to my king and the kingdom by their methods. So Jesus here in the final chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, he's helping us walk out our faith in real practical ways. When you see stuff like that, what do you do? How do we do it? What are the best best methods for bringing forth the things that we love so much? Jesus Christ, him crucified, salvation, the kingdom. How do we actually walk this out well? So here's what Jesus does. He gives us four problems that we probably all fall into. And then he gives us the solution, be discerning. It's brilliant and it's beautiful as Jesus always is. So problem number one that most of us probably fall into, condemnation. Judge not. That word judge could just as easily and probably might better be translated condemn. You're condemning someone. Judge not that you be not judged for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Condemnation. We're critical, we're judgmental, 
Jesus says, don't do that. Why? So you don't get judged. Judge not why, so that you don't get judged. Is Jesus saying that God is going to get us if we're judgmental? Is that what Jesus is saying? Look out, God's gonna crush you. Is this a Johnny Cash song? You can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Sooner or later, God's gonna cut you down. Is this the message Jesus is bringing? Don't judge because God's going to get you. Or is it something else? Because you read verse two and you start seeing, actually, Jesus is saying, with the measure you measure things out, that same measurement is gonna be used against you. Is it more relational? So perhaps think of it like this. Anyone in here have a friend who's just brilliant? They are kind. They're forgiving. They're merciful. They're gracious. They're generous. They're what I call a downy towel. They just absorb all the junk and don't let it back out. Like they're amazing. Like is someone's name coming to your mind right now? Matthew Heverly, something like that. I don't know. How do you respond to that kind of friendship? Don't you reciprocate it? Right? No one, unless you're a psychopath, no one like treats them like dirt. You're like, wow, this guy's been so good to me. Oh. See, I think what Jesus is saying here is you're gonna reap what you're gonna what you sow. The measure you measure out, gonna be measured back to you. Maybe it's like this. So uh, there's a video on YouTube right now by this guy that was out at Applegate and he was out at Applegate for a while. Something happened there. He got mad at Applegate. So he put out videos against Applegate. And then he decided to put out a video against me and Edgewater. So maybe you've seen it. It doesn't matter. His name is Mike. So he just kind of trashes, says I'm all this kind of stuff. All, you know. And I saw it. Someone sent it to me. And so I got on our YouTube account so he would know it was legit and said, hey, Mike, this is Matt Heverly. Love to chat with you. Love to try to discuss the things that you're talking about. Left a phone number for him to call. He deleted my comment right? Kind of told you something, right? So anyways, he just trashes me, says all this stuff about me. And, and then, then pe people are sending it to me because what happens is after he trashes me, then he starts talking about Mark Scudstad, the guy that just dedicated the baby up here. And people that sent the email to me are like, you know, I'm watching this and I'm watching about you. And I'm thinking, well, man, is that right? But then when he started trashing Mark, I knew he's a liar. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> because the measure you measured out is measured back to you. Mark's earned it. That's what Jesus is saying right here. Like, ow, judge not. Just as only life can be, right as I'm typing this out, I get a call from my 18-year-old, Gabrielle. She said, Dad, I was just rear-ended out on 199 by Dairy Queen. Can you come out here? So I drive out there. And as I'm driving, I'm wondering, should I call the police? Should we get the police involved? Rear end accidents are usually like cut and dry. You hit someone, right? They stop faster than you. It's your fault. But sometimes people can be ornery, right? Oh, you, start, you do this or that. So I'm just wondering, do we call the cops? And so I get out there, damage is minimal. And I start talking to this guy. He was the nicest young man I've ever spoken with. Super kind, super compassionate, super just. So guess what? No, we're not calling the police. Why? Because the measure that you measure out, we measured back to you. 
Jesus here is giving us a really, really important concept. Condemnation is a boomerang. If we're running around condemning people over and over and over, guess what's gonna happen to you? We got a lot of boomerang coming back to us. So Jesus says, problem number one is condemnation. Problem number two is we've all got blind spots. Look at verse three. And Jesus phrases this stuff so beautifully where it just causes you to kind of see what he's getting at. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Blind spots. So this is funny. It's 2,000 years old, so we don't get humor. Often cross-cultural humor doesn't work, but this is like slapstick, three stooges comedy. A dude with a gigantic log sticking out of his eye, trying to help somebody in a very sensitive area of their eye get a little speck out, right? It's ancient comedy, kind of lost on us, but that's okay. Jesus's big ask is this, why do you see the tiny, insignificant piece of sawdust in someone else's eye when you cannot see the log in your own eye? Because we all have blind spots. So at my house, you can ask my children, I am constantly saying, close the door. I pay for heat or cool and you are wasting my money, close the door. Guess what my kids always say to me? Dad, you leave the door open more often than we do. I say, you're a liar and you need a spanking. <laughs> I tell them. I tell my kids, hey, you need to make sure, because there are a lot in like hybrid school and stuff, get to your class on time. And then I am late to an elders meeting. Right? Because it's easy to do that. Really easy. This is the one that just got me like, um, I am anti-stealing, no matter what it is. Like, you just don't steal. You don't steal someone's Netflix. You don't steal somebody's whatever it is, whatever subscription you don't get. No, you pay for your own. You're stealing from someone. So I'm just like dogged on that. We, we're like, just, that's the way I am. You, do, you are stealing. When you take something like that, you're stealing. It's stealing. And then on Friday, my son Elijah, because I love watching the Beavers, love watching football, and I don't want to pay for a subscription because it's expensive. But YouTube has this thing where people will, whatever, I don't know how they do it, but they, they pay for the subscription and then they stream it so you can get it for free. And I watch it all the time. And so on Friday, Elijah's like, dad, you're stealing every time you watch the Beavers. I said, shut up. Because it's easy to see the speck in someone else's eye while we ignore the log in our own eye. That's what we do. So Mark Twain put it the best. He said this, it is better to give than to receive, especially advice, right? It is. It's easy to see all the flaws in your spouse and to put together a diagram and a PowerPoint presentation and give her all the perfect solutions. Am I the only one that does that? <laughs> While you're ignoring the logs 
in our own eyes. And here's why, because we're not emotionally connected to them. Right? We can dissect other people, but we can't ourselves. We can tell somebody, man, you're dating the wrong person. He's no good for you. She's no good for you. Why? Because we're not emotionally attached. Break up with him. It's easy. Hey, you need a diet. You need to exercise. It's very easy to do that, right? Diagnosed, but it's very actually difficult to do. It's very difficult to do. And so what Jesus is saying is, be careful. You're judging to condemnation. And what you need is a mirror. You need to know that you're blind. I know I'm blind and here's how I know now. Because right now, 2023, November, I think, hey, and I'm hitting it. I'm firing on all eight cylinders. I'm doing good. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, that's what I believe right now. But if I just rewind the clock five years and go to 2018 and think back about some of the stuff I was doing then or I wasn't doing then, you know what I think about myself just five years ago? Man, I was an idiot, right? Here's what I know. In 2028, if Jesus waits, I'll look back on Matt Heverly in 2023 and just be like, man, I was an idiot. Why didn't somebody stop me? Because we've all got blind spots. All of us have blind spots and we gotta be careful, be careful, right? We condemn, we got blind spots. Thirdly, love verse four. Or how can you say to your brother, right? It's almost an exasperation. How can you do this? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? We overestimate our own abilities. Let me prove it. Two words, home remodel, right? You overestimate your own ability. Instagram fails is full of people overestimating their own abilities. And that's when you call on the pros. I do it. So back in April, I was just trying to put on, put a shelf in. I thought I'd found the stud. I'm drilling into the stud, right? I'm like, mm, it felt soft. I'm like, just push harder, just push harder. And then when I drill in, I heard this, pss. I'm like, what in the world in a wall makes a sound? Guess what I hit? No. HVAC line for my air conditioning heat pump. Yeah, that's a, oh my goodness, right? It's old, it's R22. They don't even make this stuff anymore because it's killing everybody. I'm like, oh, there's 10 grand for a shelf, right? Call the pro. We overestimate our abilities. Psychologists have a term for it. It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. The Dunning-Kruger effect is this. It's based on ignorance. The more ignorant you are, the more you believe you can do something, right? It's the worst thing of all. <laughs> and the first rule of the Dunning-Kruger Club is you never know you're a member. <laughs> yeah, isn't that the best? So they actually chart the path that we go through in our Dunning-Kruger effect. Here it is right here. Some people camp on Mount Stupid. They believe they've got all the confidence in the world, but they are a moron. And then they hit an HVAC line. And you fall into the valley of despair. And the slope of enlightenment is call someone that knows more than you. This guy right here, you and I, Jesus says, you say, let me 
take the speck out of your eye while we've got this gigantic log in our own head. So at Edgewater, 18 years ago when it started, I was talking to a group of people, elders and some other people, and this is what I said. And I look back and that's one of the things that I say, I was such an idiot. I said, you know, I have to get the discernment. I can just tell if somebody's a good person or a bad person. 18 years on now, guess what? I am the worst at discerning people. I am the worst judge of character in the world. Golden retrievers are better than me and they like everyone. So I just like complete opposite. Like, ah, went to the valley of despair, slope of enlightenment. I'm terrible at it. You can lie to me and I'll believe you because I like people and I generally trust people, right? So I'm a terrible discerning. All I know is this, just give it time. I don't know. Is that guy a good person, bad person? I don't know. Just give it time. That's what happens. That's what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to be like, oh man, wow. I have less answers now than before because problems are more complex and nuanced and difficult than I thought they were. It was black and white when I was 33. Now I'm like, I don't know, actually. We probably need to wait and see. I need to listen more because there's a lot less of, let me, a lot less of it. I'm kind of a blockhead. Mm. And then Jesus says, finally, number four, you hypocrite. Sum it all up, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. If you sum up all these things, condemnation, blind spots that we just overlook, arrogance, overestimate our ability. What happens is this, we become hypocritical, arrogant, judgmental people. So I think we should be, as we read through the Sermon on the Mount, we should be stopping right here and pausing and being like, hold on a second. Is this me? And so I just sat when I was studying this and asked myself some questions. Is this me? First question was this, whose sin is bigger? My spouse's sin or my sin? My roommate's sin or my sin? Because if I don't say mine, I'm on the highway to hypocrisy. If I'm not concerned about the log giant versus the speck, I'm on the highway to hypocrisy. Another question to ask is when someone wants to correct me and so they come up to me and they'll say, Matt, I've noticed something with you. I've noticed a speck in your eye. How do I respond to that? Do I say, oh, you saw something in me Blockhead, I'm surprised you could see with that giant log sticking out of your head. Yeah, let's go. Do I immediately discount ad hominem attack on their character when someone wants to address something to me? If I do that, probably on the highway to hypocrisy. If you're sitting here right now thinking to yourself, you know who needs to hear this message? My wife needs to hear this message. 
I know five guys that should listen to this. I'm gonna send this message to five. If you're saying that right now, you're on the highway to hell. Because Jesus is asking us to do something else, isn't he? He's asking, his big ask is actually something very different. It's, here's the big ask. Verse five, you first. You hypocrite, first. If you notice something in someone else, the very first thing you should do is go look in a mirror. First, take out the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Whenever I see something in someone else, as a Christian, my first response should be, I have impaired vision. I'm not seeing correctly right now. That should be my very initial response. I have impaired vision. I better look in the mirror first. I better see if this is me first. That should be my very first initial response. Maybe it's just reflecting me. And I'll tell you the best mirror in the world for you, you know what it is? The people close to you. Those that are around you all the time, your kids, your wife, your husband, people that you work with, that's the people that you should be saying, hey, do I have blind spots? Do I overestimate my own abilities? Am I judgmental? That's what you should do. They're the best judges. They're the ones that know you well, right? And if you're willing to do that, you're either brave or you have the Dunning-Kruger effect. You just think you're perfect. I don't have anything to say to me. I did this one time at Edgewater. I put my seat in the middle of a staff meeting. I said, okay, shoot if you got it. I only did it one time. I don't know if I'll ever do it again. We all need mirrors. And here's the whole goal, to see clear enough to help other people. The goal is help me so that I've got this log out of my head so I can be a better ophthalmologist for other people. They have specs that's irritating and causing them problems. That's the whole goal. How good is that? So I can be a helping healed individual. It's hard to admit you have blind spots. It's hard to admit you overestimate your abilities. It's hard to admit, man, I'm pretty judgmental. But when you do that, guess what happens to you? You get healed. You stop being an arrogant, hypocritical, judgmental blockhead and become someone that can help other people. Isn't that what we all want? That we're not condemning people, we're restoring them. And we're being restored in the process because we're getting the block out of our own head. It's brilliant, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. And every, every one of us knows what happens when two people are pointing their fingers at each other, judging each other. What happens in that? You have a fight, you have division. We all know what happens when there's one person pointing his finger and the other person is owning their junk. What do you have there? You have a bully. What do you get when you've got two people willing to look in the mirror, willing to evaluate themselves, willing to own their own junk, repent of it, be healed from it and help other people? What do you have then? Man, you've got the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's what he wants for us. It's brilliant and it's beautiful. And now Jesus does something as only he can do. He balances it. 
Check out this balance, verse six. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Jesus, after all this, now says this, be discerning. When you've taken the time to look in the mirror and listen to people and look, do, pray to God and say, hey, is this how I am? Is this truthful? Taking the log out of your own eye, you're generously caring for other people to get the speck out of their eyes. Then Jesus says, you have the chance now to be something, be discerning, which is the goal. I love Jesus. His words are so good. They're always so balanced and so beautiful and so right and so valuable because it's really easy to quote Matthew 7, 1. Don't judge me, bro. And then what happens to Christianity? It becomes weird, doesn't it? It gets hippified, right? You just become hippies. It's all good, bro. God is love. Don't judge. And, and we become jello Christians. But Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't allow himself to become a tie-dyed, Birkenstock-wearing guru coming to Oregon because the weed is legal here. He doesn't let us do that to him. And that happens so often in Christianity because of caricatures, because one verse torn from its context, not the rest of it is read. It's very balanced here. It's very brilliant. It's very good because the other side is discernment. So Jesus gives us discernment. And we will not win the world by being worldly light. Do you know that? Just being a little bit less bad than the culture. Just inching along. No, we won't win by being worldly light. We win when we're full of grace and full of truth. The balance of those two beautiful virtues, which is what Jesus is gonna ask us to be. So Jesus looks out and he says this, do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not throw your pearls before pigs. Now today, when we think about dogs, what do we think about? Our pets. Dogs have been elevated, I think, to the wrong spot in our culture. Pets, I think, have been elevated to the wrong spot in our culture. There is a vet practice down in Georgia that does kidney transplants on cats. It'll cost you about a $40,000 check, gives your cat about 18 more months of life, and you're taking a kidney from an unwilling volunteer, right? Well, that's nutty to me. So we have this idea about dogs that's very high. Jesus is from a culture where dogs were scavengers. Think of the hyena stealing the meal from the cheetah that's going to feed her brand new cubs. And if she does not get that meal, she and her cubs will die. That's what Jesus is talking about. Scavengers, diseased. They'll turn and they'll bite you. And now it's holy. It's God's word. Don't give holy things to dogs. How about pigs? If you know anything about the Jewish faith, pigs are unclean, they're not kosher. And pearls, are pearls valuable? Yeah, a pearl could buy enough food to feed a pig probably for its entire lifetime. 
But does a pig know that? No, it has no value to a pig. You could go out to the pig pen with a million dollars in pearls and throw them out to the pig. And what's the pig gonna do? Sniff them, say, I can't eat these. Look at you and say, I could eat you though and attack you. And that's what Jesus says is gonna happen. So let's try to put this all together here. Jesus is saying there is a right way to go about the kingdom, sharing holy things, giving the pearl of the gospel. Matthew 13 tells us it's the gospel, giving the pearl of the gospel to people. There's a right way to do it. Is it with signs and pictures? Is that the right way to do it? So I remember the very first time I ever saw like that group of people that they have the signs with repent, hell's coming for you, fire on them, uh, the pictures of aborted babies and we're pro-life, time born, time, we defend that 100%, right? First time I ever saw it was at a church in the park, maybe six or seven years ago. And they'd set up right by where everyone's gathering to, for the church in the park in June. I remember like, what is this? Seeing these pictures. So I just walked over to the guy. He had a camera on recording everything. And so I, I just wanted to ask him some questions. I'm like, hey, what's going on here? What are you doing? He's like, I'm out preaching the gospel, man. I'm like, that, that, that's the gospel right there? That, that's the gospel. Oh, okay, all right. And, and that's the, you know, kids will be here? Yes, they need to see this because it's a sin. I said, so kids need to see sin? Absolutely, they need to be aware of it. I said, do you think pornography is a sin? Absolutely, pornography is a sin. So should I go around with a picture of a naked woman on a sign saying pornography is a sin? He goes, no, you shouldn't. And I said, you shouldn't do that either. Well, we go on, start talking. I said, well, why are you here this morning? Why here? Because this is, it's mostly gonna be Christians here, right? As Christians, we're coming to church. Why are you here? Because you know what? People just need to know and they're not doing enough and all this kind of stuff. And I said, okay, okay. I said, so you, you've chosen this spot where pretty much only Christians will be to share this. Yes. I said, okay, that's great. A lot of time, right? He goes, I go all over the Pacific Northwest. I've been doing this for years and years and years. So I said, okay, lots of time in this. Lots of time in this. I said, during your time with these signs and this message, have you ever had one person believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? And he hemmed and hawed, you know, I'm planning and someone else is watering and God gives the increase. I said, no, no, no. Paul knew, book of Acts, when people believed. Read the Philippian jailer. Knew when they professed faith in Jesus Christ. I said, one person, one person, all your time, have you had one person believe in Jesus Christ? Guess what his answer was? not one, because there's a right way to do things. There's a discerning way that you and I are to use holy things, that you and I are to use pearls. So here's what Jesus is asking us to do. Number one, own your own sin. Look at the block in your own head. Address others with that same kindness and that generosity that lost people don't want judges. You know what lost people want? They want to be saved. They want a savior, someone who's going to guide them out of lostness, not a judge that's going to condemn them. And I think a lot of these organizations now, and they're big on YouTube, where it's very confrontational, it's signs, it's a lot of that message. I think they want clicks over Christ. That's what I think. 
That what they really want is they want that confrontation. That's why they always have the cameras on. And so Jesus is saying, be discerning in how you share the gospel. Be discerning. Judge yourself first. Look in the mirror first. Find out where you're off first because you become a different kind of person than someone that stands around condemning others when you've dealt with your own junk. Learn to speak when you should speak and learn to hold your tongue when you should hold your tongue. That happens when we walk this out well, right? And ultimately, what does a dog or a pig want? Food, right? That's what they, they don't want pearls. They want food. You know what's interesting to me as you read the gospels about what Jesus did? What was Jesus always doing to the wrong people? Having a meal with them. Tax collectors, prostitutes, drunkards. He was always having meals with the wrong people. You know why? Because Jesus was a bridge builder. I'll come, I'll invest in you. I'll talk to you. I'll ask you questions. How many times did Jesus ask questions? Over and over, I'll ask you questions so that I can present to you when you're ready, the pearl of the good news. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Having meals with people, building bridges into their life. I think people are like a bank account. You better make an investment into their life before you can make a withdrawal. They better know how much you care because they can care less about how much you know. And so Jesus is saying, be bridge builders. Be discerning. Discern your own junk. Discern when to speak and to share in people's lives so that they can believe in me. So I sent this out to staff a couple of weeks ago. And it was a poll done and the poll was real simple. Why do people come to church? You're an unbeliever. You haven't been to church yet. Why did you go to church? Here's the top four reasons why people went to church. Number one, they saw an ad. So this could be a Facebook ad or an ad in the yellow pages or in the newspaper or something. They saw an ad, 2%. They had an organized visit. So a group from the church got together and they kind of went out and canvassed and knocked on doors and said, hey, we're a church and would you like to come? 6%. Pastor visit. So I go out, knock on doors and invite people. I'm the pastor of so-and-so church when you want to come. But here's the reason why most came to church. 86%. Why? Because someone built a bridge into their life. You're my friend. You showed you cared for me. You've taken care of your blockheadedness. You're looking at the specs and trying to help me. Yeah, I'll go to church with you. This is what Jesus is asking us to do as kingdom people. Evaluate yourself. Look in the mirror first. Be discerning about when to speak and when not to speak, knowing the right time to cast the pearl of the gospel to catch people for the kingdom. And it's beautiful. And that's how it's worked for thousands of years.